You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The president who caused the chaos of the border needed to be here. It just so happens he's two years and about $20 billion too late. But they need a lot of resources and we're going to get them for them. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. That was easy, huh? I never thought we'd get up here. Liberty over limitation. Maturity over Mar-a-Lago. Normalcy over negativity. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden heads south of the border, but will it help solve the immigration crisis? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As the Three Amigos Summit kicks off in Mexico City a day after President Biden's trip to the border, where Texas Governor Greg Abbott gave him five things to think about. We will talk about them and the potential opportunities at hand this week with an expert. Leon Fresco joins us, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Immigration Litigation at the Justice Department. Kevin McCarthy finally gets the gavel, but he faces his first big test as Speaker tonight. We'll have the latest from Capitol Hill with insights from strategist Doug High, former communications director at the RNC. And from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us for the hour. Joe Biden becomes the first American president to visit Mexico in nine years. There it is. Sound of his arrival at Felipe Angeles International Airport in itself a controversy, as it turns out as the airport was a pet project of President Lopez Obrador, more than an hour's drive north of the city. Very expensive, recently didn't even have running water, but the two leaders got to ride together on the beast back into town. Everyone happy. Nothing to see here. Of course, they have some very controversial issues to deal with, uh, despite the visible camaraderie. Uh, starting today with the two leaders, and then it'll extend into tomorrow. They will add Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for the North American Leaders Summit, known, unfortunately, as the Three Amigos Summit. Where's Steve Martin when you need him? White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan laid out the agenda for uh, reporters today in Mexico City. Today, with President Lopez Obrador, President Biden is looking to dive deep on a set of issues that are priorities for his administration, uh, including continued close coordination on migration questions. And the trip south for the president follows his visit to the U.S. southern border. Uh, He went to El Paso on Sunday, where Texas Governor Greg Abbott was waiting at the airport. 
a hand-delivered letter demanding the president stop illegal immigration. He gave him five pointers on how to do that and spoke with reporters on the airport tarmac. Here he is. I said, you, have, you Mr. President, you have a job to do, uh, and that is to enforce the immigration laws already on the books. And I outlined five ways in that letter of what it can do right now without any new law having to be passed. Letter opens with the line, your visit, dear Mr. President, your visit to our southern border with Mexico today is $20 billion too little and two years too late. As I mentioned, it offers five bullet points on how to stop illegal immigration, illegal border crossings. Now, uh, Governor Abbott repeating that phrase, you already heard him say this, it's about enforcing the laws already on the books. Here he is again. This is for nothing but for show unless it begins to enforce the immigration laws already that exist in the United States of America that are contained in the letter that are provided to the president today. So this is my first question for Leon Fresco. I wanted to get to a real expert here when it comes to immigration policy, immigration law. He's a partner at Holland and Knight, former deputy assistant attorney general for the Office of Immigration Litigation at the DOJ's Civil Division. Leon, thank you for being here. Would it make a meaningful difference? Is that actually a fair uh, way to put this from the governor of Texas? And I realize they are political opponents. But is it a matter of enforcing the laws already on the books as opposed to embarking on comprehensive immigration reform? Well, the issue is that people have different definitions of what it means to enforce the laws already on the books. (laughs) If what it means is to indiscriminately look for people all across the United States and deport them without regard to any sort of prosecutorial discretion for how long they've been here, how many U.S. citizen children they have. Uh, uh, whether they're criminals or whether they have, they've abided by all of the criminal laws here in the United States, then that's the route that a lot of people, including the governor of Texas, take. And yeah. that's not necessarily a route that has to do with what, you know, and that's what was in his letter, and that's a different route than what has to do with the actual immigration laws of the United States. Same thing with Title 42, which is a CDC COVID-related measure, but it's a disease-related measure, Yes, right. that's also not part of the normal, traditional American immigration laws. And so those things that are cited are sort of these more aggressive political talking points, but really don't go to the heart of the asylum crisis that's what's happening at the border right now. Was it important for the president to stop by the border to go to El Paso on his way to this summit? I think it's always good to see on the ground, what's going on at the border. I think it's good to take away a political talking point. And I think what was announced is something that has shown to work. And if it's implemented properly, and here's the key, if Mexico really allows you to robustly remove people who are coming into the United States without any sort of ability to actually claim asylum, then that's going to work. People will take the legal pathways that the Biden administration is now offering, and they don't want to take the illegal pathways, but they take them because there isn't a legal pathway to do it in. And so it will also be interesting to see whether the state of Texas sues the president for actually offering these legal pathways to people from Cuba, Haiti, Yes, right. So you're talking about this uh, this new uh, policy that the president rolled out, proposed policy 
that indeed would 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 tighten immigration enforcement by blocking Cuban, Haitian and Nicaraguan migrants at the border. It got very little coverage last week, Leon, because of all the madness in Washington and the drama in the House with Kevin McCarthy uh, and going through these many votes to become speaker. Uh, But it's starting to pop up now and there's been a lot more uh, attention paid to it. How much of a difference? It sounds like you're in favor of it. Would this policy change make? It will depend on scalability. If it's allowed to be scaled robustly so that Mexico actually, because the biggest problem is right now Mexico does not accept people we are trying to deport Uh who are not from Mexico or Central America. And so that's why we have the problem we have with Cubans and with Haitians and even Nicaragua, which is considered too far south. It's not in the northern triangle. And so... If Mexico allows us to deport people who try to sneak in between the ports of entry mm-hmm. in exchange for giving people a legal pathway, and we have a robust enough legal pathway that people won't choose to sneak across the, 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 the ports of entry, you will see a dramatic reduction in the number of people sneaking across. And the best evidence of that is when the Ukraine-Russia war broke out. We saw thousands of Ukrainians on the southern border, and when we told them, look, it's not going to work to go to the southern border, here's a program for you to use, every Ukrainian used the program and stopped going to the southern border. Well, yeah, of course, it's a little bit difficult to compare the two, right? But in in terms of, of, of this moving the needle at the summit here... The talks today with Lopez Obrador, of course, we're going to need the cooperation of the Mexican government to make this work. Uh, And Justin Trudeau uh, added to the conversation tomorrow. It's really the meeting today, though, isn't it, with these two leaders that could make a difference? Absolutely. It's going to come down to what President Biden has in terms of carrots and sticks to convince Mexico to have a robust acceptance of people who are coming across in between our ports of entry illegally. President Trump, when he had this, he said, I'm going to make tariffs on cars of 40% if you don't accept people. And Mexico ultimately accepted people. I don't know if Biden is willing to tie those two issues together, but he will also need to think creatively to convince Mexico to do the sixth part of this process and show people, hey, look, we're going to do a robust carrot part of the process that will allow people not to just be waiting in Mexico for days and days and days. Well, it does that. You talk about carrots and sticks. It comes down to, comes down to money, doesn't it? We, we need to give them the money to make that possible. Well, we need the money to make it possible for the group of people that are going to be on the northern border of Mexico, the southern border of the United States, who are going to be turned back and then who will need to be addressed. That's part of it. Certainly, no doubt about it. But to be fair, the Trump administration really didn't give a lot of funding to Mexico to implement that either, and they still nevertheless implemented it because they didn't want the burden of the 40% automobile tariff. So the point is there's ways to think about this creatively, but in any case, what what I think is superior to the Trump approach is that it won't just be all six. There will be carrots to this approach, too, and I think that is important in keeping with our humanitarian obligation. Title 42 is going to be lifted at some point. Uh, This is obviously up to the court now, and we'll see what happens with that, Leon. Is the administration ready? Well, it sounds like what they're going to do to replace Title 42 is to issue the kind of travel ban order that President Trump issued when he was president that says, If you come in between the ports of entry, you are going to be banned from ever asking for asylum in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, you can get a different kind of relief called withholding of removal, 
that just temporarily stops your deportation, but you can't get asylum, which will give you a pass to citizenship and which will allow you to bring in your family members, that will be banned. So you'll have to go through a legal process, either at the ports of entry or through this parole process to enter. And that's what they're going to be replacing Title 42 with and hoping that that's a sufficient deterrent to stop people from crossing in between the ports of entry. God. It's it, we we certainly do assume a lot though, don't we? That everyone's got the latest updates on this stuff. I mean, we're talking about desperate people crossing deserts on foot for crying out loud. What do they care necessarily? Is the latest on immigration policy? I mean, I would say I would say there's gradations of this. Certainly, yeah. not everybody's listening to the top news outlets of the day, getting every single update. Having said that, the people assisting a lot of the people to come across the border are generally aware of the laws, and they become aware as the Border Patrol tells the people, hey, you're going to have to use this other way. You can't use this way. That word does get out over time, and people do start to use processes that are easier and that are observably easier than more difficult processes. The people will know, hey, use this port or go through this area. Those words do get out. It's just that they don't maybe get circulated instantaneously. It's great to have you back, Leon. I appreciate your expertise. Leon Fresco at Holland and Knight, who spent time as Deputy Assistant Attorney General of the Office of Immigration Litigation at the Department of Justice's Civil Division. He's been around this for a long time and really understands the in and outs uh, and a good opportunity to assemble our panel. Let's just get into it here with Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, really, you know, getting back to where I started here uh, with Leon Fresco, Rick, Governor Abbott, to President Biden, you have violated your constitutional obligation to defend the states against invasion through faithful execution of federal laws. Is he right or wrong? Well, I mean, too little, too late is right. Uh, this is an administration who knew when they were coming in that they had a crisis on the border. They spent a year claiming there was no crisis uh, when the crisis was apparent. And now they're trying to deal with the crisis and uh, it's you know arguable as to whether or not the solutions that are being promoted by the Biden administration today are going to have any impact on it. Jeannie, this is a tough spot for Joe Biden. Obviously, it's uh, you know it's an opportunity to look presidential, to be, but to be knocked in the teeth like that when you're getting off the, the airplane in El Paso, and for Governor Abbott, I don't know if you actually saw the optics of this. President Biden gets uh, into the beast, he gets into the motorcade, and they're rolling out. While Governor Abbott is addressing the media with with the president behind him, leveling criticism on that level. And it was pretty heated. Does he come out uh, of, of this trip to El Paso looking weakened by going? You know, I I don't think so. You know, he has been criticized for a long time for not making a trip to the border yet. This is his first trip. And, um, you know, the White House has said, you know, uh, us going down there is not going to change anything. But they they sent him down there. I think that Leon was right when he said they sort of removed that talking point. But the reality is this is an issue that has disrupted and vexed Washington presidents going back decades, long before Joe Biden, and it Mm -hmm. will continue to. He is now, for the very policy you just talked about, this expansion of Title 42, being criticized by many people who are immigrant rights activists who are saying, you have just upended years of requests at asylums, which we allow in this country. You are now upending that. So in my mind, it's very similar to the kind of criticism Barack Obama was facing when Mm -hmm. he finally decided to take 
take executive action on the dreamers. And I think it's going to vex Joe Biden in the same way it's vexed presidents going back to George Bush, if not before. Was it smart of him to go or at least check the box, say, I've been to the border, Rick? Absolutely. I mean, you know, if he is intending to run for office again and he is um, vulnerable on this issue of immigration, both from the human rights side, but also from the security side, uh, he's kind of made everybody unhappy with the current plan. Uh, Then going there and embracing it and dealing with it, it's not going to go away. It's going to be a political issue next year for him. And he's got to have a plan to, to fix it. And hopefully his fix will work for him politically because otherwise it'll dog him throughout the campaign season. Yeah, sure. Greg Abbott says he's simply not enforcing the laws on the books, Jeannie, and that is a very popular belief around the country. Politically, it's pretty difficult to get around that. Is there not some truth to it? Well, you know, Joe Biden would tell you his first day in office, he put forward a a plan to deal with immigration. And the reality of the way our system works is that a president cannot unilaterally handle this issue. It's got to be done via congressional action. So he really needs to keep asking Congress what they are doing. We see a bipartisan group led by Kristen Sinema down there, uh, you know, trying to address this. We saw them try to put it forward during the lame duck. I am not optimistic something is going to happen. But the reality reality is, if a president does act on this, like Barack Obama did on the Dreamers, they are then going to be leveled with charges. They should be impeached for exceeding their authority. And that is exactly what would happen to Joe Biden as well. So it's, you know, I wish there was a simple solution like Greg Abbott is talking about. There yep. is no simple solution to this. Two very important things uh, that, that Jeannie just mentioned here we're going to talk about next. One is the move in Congress to solve this problem. Is that even possible in this world? And does it need to be a comprehensive bill? Maybe there's some ways to chew around this. Rick has lived that and will talk to us about it. But also a bipartisan group of senators headed for the border just on the heels of Joe Biden's trip. That's next. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you joined us here on Bloomberg Sound On. The letter that Governor Abbott wrote, typed out, somebody did, he handed it to President Biden on the tarmac. It's pretty tough the way this is written here, written so I, of course, would read it and others on the air. Uh, But it's very specific. Five bullet points on how to manage illegal immigration now. And the first one says you must comply with the many statutes mandating that various categories of aliens shall be detained and end the practice of unlawfully paroling aliens en masse. Stop sandbagging implementation of Remain in Mexico and Title 42. That's another. Aggressively prosecute illegal entry between ports of entry. It says immediately resume construction of the border wall. And then finally, designate the Mexican drug cartels foreign terrorist organizations. None of these would require comprehensive immigration reform, right? 
Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano here, Bloomberg Politics contributors. We heard from uh, the president last week. I mentioned this uh, when we were talking a couple of minutes ago. It didn't make a lot of news because, well, everybody was talking about Kevin McCarthy. But here's Joe Biden at the White House turning to Congress on this issue as he unveiled his new immigration policy proposals. That work will not be done unless and until the Congress enacts and funds a more comprehensive immigration plan that I proposed on day one. Until Congress has acted, I, I can act where I have legal capacity to do so. And so he's doing what he can here, tweaking around the edges, as we discussed earlier. Uh, Jeannie, you know, it's a pretty interesting and, and very important point here. As we just came through this exercise last week, where it took 15 rounds to figure out who the Speaker of the House is going to be, how the heck is anything involving immigration going to get through this Congress? It's certainly on a comprehensive level. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to imagine at this point, you know, uh, right off the bat, you start with Democrats whose focus will be on the dreamers, and that's where they'll want to start. And then you have Republicans who want to focus on border security first, and then maybe address the dreamers and issues of legal and illegal immigration. And so getting those two groups together, particularly in the House, is going to be really tough. But this is all going to be muddied and toxic, if you will, because of the investigations that the Republicans are promising against Mayorkas and and the Homeland Security and their activities at the border. So that's going to make it much harder to get together. And, you know, this bipartisan group of senators we mentioned, including Chris Coons, who's a confidant of the president. That's right. That's a good start, except that, you know, that can't just be a little group in the Senate. It's got to be the entire Senate, the entire House to get a bill together. And that's where the rub's going to be. So look at these names, Kirsten Sinema, John Cornyn. These are the two leaders, right? They're going to travel with uh, Tom Tillis, Mark Kelly, James Langford, Chris Coons, Jerry Moran, Chris Murphy. It's a pretty level-headed bunch, right? This is the uh, this is the group of moderates, I guess. Rick, how do they how do they crack this Congress, though? How do you do it now? You know, I think that the prospects to get some movement in the Senate seem to be pretty obvious. This is not a bad core group to go with. Um, they can incorporate enough components of uh, the original bill that they uh, were trying to produce last year which really just addresses the immigrant issue, right? It doesn't get into some of the extraneous issues of dreamers and other things, but it does deal with the crisis at the border. It's really a border crisis bill. And and I think by now, there's probably a lot of support for some of the measures. Uh, they actually overlap to some degree, uh, some of what um, uh, uh, Governor Abbott's been talking about. So in the Senate, I think there there is a prospect for a legitimate conversation around mm-hmm. uh, this kind of border security bill. Uh, that being said, where you find the votes in the House are going to be much more complex because one of the signers of that bill that uh, they were working on last year with Cornyn and Cinema is uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who feels very left out <laughs> yeah. of the border uh, visit by Biden because he's the only congressman uh, from the El Paso area. Uh, who's a Republican and also was left off of the visit. And so oh. here's the one guy in the House who signed on to a border bill who actually has something to add to the conversation, and he's not allowed to you know, be part of the visit uh, with the president. Not good. And uh, by the way, he could loom large in this rules battle in the House tonight as well from what we hear, right? Uh, Jeannie, how about these five bullet points? Can't Joe Biden tick off a couple of these without... Uh, without moving his immigration policy too far from where he is? 
Yeah, you know, I think he can. You know, the reality is Title 42, as you mentioned in your conversation with Leon, probably goes away. And then yeah. that is, you know, going to fall by the wayside. So but, you got that. But particularly naming the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations, you mm-hmm. know, before Biden's visit this uh, today, um, we saw the arrest of El Chapo's son. Many of the media in Mexico describing that as a gift to Biden. So yeah. I do think there are ways, you know, points at which they can come together on these, you know, this at least some of the things on this bulleted list. But but, the, you know, and I thought that maybe the Biden administration should turn around and invite Greg Abbott to a conference, a, you know, a, a meeting in, in D.C. at the White House and get together and talk publicly about what they want to do. But the reality is, is it politically works for Republicans to complain about Biden on this issue. And so the political incentive to work together for a resolution at this point is simply not there. Let's not forget, this is how Abbott, this is how DeSantis and many other Republican governors, not to mention people in Congress, are hitting the Biden administration. And, you you know, shoring up their runs for president in 24. Rick, you live this with Senator John McCain. Is the word comprehensive the problem here or is it the only path? Well, it, it, it is a problem because it's been demonized so much that um, it's it's hard to say that and not see people flee the halls of Congress. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's it, it, it was the strategy at the time that uh, the only way you're going to get uh, any support for all of these measures individually, because no one of them could pass, uh, certainly not in the Senate, is to bundle them so that so that everybody feels like they have some skin in the game. In order to get my border security bill passed, I've got to have uh, somebody in there who's not going to vote for me for that, but would be willing to vote for the Dreamers. And right. and and then you know a guest worker bill. Well, you know that's going to bring in a lot of the you know Chamber of Commerce Republicans. If we could get a guest worker bill, maybe we could sign on to some of these others. And, and that was the whole construct is to piece it together so that the common interest had enough of what they wanted to be able to be willing to support other people's measures and actually do something that can uh, fulfill the need to, to solve the crisis. I mean, we still have 20 million undocumented workers running around the United States that need to be dealt with. That used to be yeah. the biggest issue. You don't hear wow. that about anything about that at all now. Isn't that right? Uh, Jeannie, what do you think about that? Does Joe Biden have... The word comprehensive in his vocabulary here, or are we going to see these more targeted attempts to to prevent a crisis more more imminently? Yeah, I, I think at this point, he's going to stay more targeted because, of course, he simply doesn't have the power at this point to expand. He can certainly, right. in his State of the Union, I'm curious to see, does he talk about something comprehensive? But they're going to have to find a new word to describe that because, of course, as Rick mentioned, it has been demonized over time and has not been successful. So, But, you know, he does need to talk about this in his State of the Union this year, and he needs to reintroduce his package, even though it has little hope for getting through Congress. Congress at this point. You mentioned the investigations, Jeannie. Listen to Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, the secretary, of course, Homeland, uh, who is being threatened not only with investigations, but impeachment by this new Republican leadership in the House. He was on ABC this week. He was asked, are you ready for this? I am. I will be. And I'll continue to do my work throughout them. Okay. What's that going to mean for this conversation? It's going to feel differently when he's sitting in front of Jim Jordan and company, Rick. Well, sure. He's going to lawyer up, right? I mean, all of a sudden, if he's going to have that kind of scrutiny and 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 challenged by Congress, the Republican majority in the House, then does that kill any he, chances of talks though on immigration reform? No, 
know. I, I, those things certainly can, can happen over top of this issue. But as far as his ability to communicate with House members, especially committee chairs like Jim Jordan, who are going to be basically prosecuting him according to what they're, they're yeah. claiming, um, it, it's not going to be a very fruitful exchange. Uh, he'll do his job. He, he has to by virtue of his appointment by President uh, Biden. But the reality is it, it, it's not really the approach you would take if you're actually trying to solve a problem. Does that color the negotiations here as far as Joe Biden's concerned, Jeannie? You know, I think it does. It can't help it. I think it was James Comer who said they're going to give Mayorkas his own parking pass at Congress. He's going to be up there testifying so much. I mean, you know, that's that's what they're talking about. And, you know, whether it you know, Biden's a professional, he knows how these things are done. But I think it can't help but make the environment up there toxic. Democrats are going to be thinking these guys are not serious about a solution if all of their focus is on impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas for what's going on at the border. Wow. Well, we've got a lot to consider here, and we're going to be talking about this more tomorrow. Of course, the summit itself is tomorrow. They're going to have a major news conference as well. Is that a trilateral? We'll get details on that for you because it's going to be near uh, showtime tomorrow as well. Uh, Coming up, the big test here in the House for, yes, Speaker, say it out loud, Kevin McCarthy. Boy, that didn't come easily. We'll go through a little bit of that late Friday night almost came to blows on the House floor. And what might happen tonight? It's going to be a pretty important uh, check on exactly what Kevin McCarthy has made for himself. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Kevin McCarthy is now Speaker of the House. It took 15 rounds. He got there early Saturday morning in the wee hours after a week of deal making. Here he is from the Speaker's roster. That was easy, huh? (laughs) I never thought we'd get up here. Thank you, Minority Leader Jeffries. Hakeem, I've got to warn you. Two years ago, I got 100% of the vote from my conference. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. And indeed, Hakeem Jeffries uh, handed the gavel to him in the formal act, and he's speaker today was not easy. In fact, we lived through some of the more difficult moments with Doug High, who we had to talk with today, Republican strategist, former deputy chief of staff to Eric Cantor. He knows what goes on in that office, former RNC communications director. He got it done here. Doug's almost led to blows uh, at one point between Mike Rogers and, and Matt Gates. How in the world does he step into this rules debate tonight and get anything done? Well, first, you've got to get the rules package agreed to. And if it's not agreed to, uh, Joe, we could find ourselves in a situation where we have to have multiple ballots um, oh. on changing the rules so that we can get to, you know, ultimately 218 votes. Um, I suppose some people could vote present on this as well. But um, th- this is the challenge is to get there. And once that's done, we'll have the framework for how 
the House of Representatives will operate for the next two years. We currently don't have that. And it's delayed because of obviously what happened last week. Yeah. Um, and it looks like members are getting there. You know, this is an opportunity. It's sort of a last opportunity for members to make a huff and to, to raise a point. Uh, but ultimately, overwhelmingly, as they did with Kevin from the first vote to the last one, overwhelmingly Republicans will support it. It's just a question right now of whether or not it gets to 218 or a majority on the floor. Well, they're back in session now. Uh, the big test we've been talking about is indeed this rules package that includes a lot of the deal making from last week when uh, Kevin McCarthy was trying to get the votes. They will not all be popular with moderate Republicans. Uh, Doug, will that be a problem tonight? Uh, I don't think tonight it should be a problem, but there's a challenge for the party moving forward. And uh, part of it is you have a slim majority. The other part, you know, one of the things that Kevin talked about very early on was getting rid of um, the votes that are done by proxy. And, you know, when it was first brought up by Democrats, it made sense, I think, um, not to every Republican, but certainly made sense to me in that we had very real health fears of well, sure. a room of 435 people all being <laughs> right. together. Uh, but as people got vaccinated and, you know, things like that, um, it really seemed to be a crutch that people used to come up for reasons not to be in the House chamber and do other things. They could be at fundraisers, they could be in their district, but not necessarily doing uh, official business. This actually gave Nancy Pelosi leverage and power. It made a lot of the things that she uh, passed with a very small majority passable because she just got all the proxy votes. Um, for, for McCarthy, not having that may prove a challenge, and not just for McCarthy. This then becomes more of a challenge for Steve Scalise, the uh, majority leader, Tom Emmer, the majority whip, to plan these votes out methodically uh, and to make sure that at the end of the week, uh, everybody is there so that they have a majority. They can't depend on proxy voting. Yeah, okay. Doug, have you seen anything since the weekend, we'll say, and I realize that, that, that none of this is set in stone yet, but any of the components of this rules package that raised your eyebrow that said, boy, you know what? That must have been a late night when he agreed to that. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, you know, a lot has been made of lowering the threshold um, for a motion to vacate right. the chair yeah. to one person. The, re the reality is there's good and bad here. The reality is that's traditionally been the threshold. He's basically returning it to what the standard has traditionally been. That's not a problem. The problem is what we've seen over the past uh, 10, 12 years <laughs> is that Republicans are, are a lot more willing to do things like that. Um, That's right. This is something that Mark Meadows claimed he didn't know what he was doing. And I will say I defer to Mark Meadows when he says he doesn't know what he's doing, that he <laughs> might know what he's talking about. Uh, but he used this against John Boehner, at least threatened to. And that caused some real problems and the willingness um, of some members to go there. I don't think anybody will go there quickly. But three months, six months down the line, it's not that Kevin McCarthy will be handcuffed, but people will be able to point to handcuffs on the wall. Boy, oh boy. This is going to be something to see tonight. We'd love to compare notes with you once we get through it. Doug, hi. Great to have you back. As always, Republican strategist, former RNC communications director. Uh, I'd like to hear from the panel on this because we heard from Chip Roy uh, Jeannie and Rick about the uh, the near fisticuffs on the House floor that some suggest was alcohol fueled early Saturday morning. Listen to Congressman Chip Roy talking about this on Sunday morning. Some of the tensions you saw on display uh, when we saw some of the you know the interactions there between Mike Rogers and Matt Gates, uh, you know some of that is we need a little of that. We need a little of this sort of breaking the glass. 
in order to get us to the table in order to fight for the American people and to change the way this place is dysfunctional. That was on CNN. Rick, is he right? People were outraged when they saw this photo. These guys had to hold Mike Rogers back. Yeah, I'm not sure we want to be encouraging fisticuffs on the floor of the house. Um, and as you know, as you were just saying, I mean, this is definitely a different environment than what we've seen in the past. So we talk a lot about tradition and 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 what the house rules have been in the past and how people conduct themselves on the floor. We're we're in an uncharted territory when uh, members. Uh, regardless of what the uh, costs are or what the uh, pressure is, um, you know, uh, late at night, you know, for the speaker's vote. Uh, but for Mike Rogers to go after another member, uh, and there's no yeah. question that's what he was going to do, uh, is pretty extraordinary. And I think the caucus <laughs> needs to do what they can. To, I mean, like, get back together again. I mean, now that if they get through the rules package tonight, I, I think they need a retreat somewhere where they can go and do a little kumbaya because, <laughs> you know, you don't need Republicans attacking Republicans. I mean, you know, where's the old adage that, you know, we only ever attack Democrats? And so right. it's uh, it's really it's really not healthy and i can't believe that anybody thinks that that's something that's going to be uh good for the country and good for good legislation and good for the caucus uh at at large well i'll tell you i don't know jim jordan said that uh, it might have been what the founders intended genie and i have to admit uh the senate at senate.gov you can find it for yourself in in the historical highlights section We'll, we'll uh, tell you all about the caning of Senator Charles Sumner. Is this going to have an entry like that? Oh, gosh, <laughs> it could. You know, and it's not the first time on the House floor. There was the time when the Wisconsin Republicans ripped the hairpiece off of the guy from Mississippi, the Democrat, in the 1850s. So it, it's gotten there a few times. You know, we don't you know, we sort of think it's unusual and it is unusual, but it's not unprecedented when, you know, people's lives are at stake and and they really believe very strongly and they're tired and they've been there and they want to go home and do the yes, business right. of the people. So, you know, oh, it. it but it, boy, was it something to see. It kept me up late on Saturday night. <laughs> it was absurd reality TV. You both think this rules package passes tonight, right, Jeannie? I think it does, but I'm curious to see what the secret components are. Okay. Rick, does it pass tonight? Yeah, I'm sure it'll pass tonight in some shape or form. There you have it from our signature panel with some final thoughts coming up next on the Fastest Hour in Politics. How does it go by? I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Word from the White House late today. The president has spoken with Joe Biden, that is, Brazilian President Lula da Silva, following the riot that broke out. Did you see the video? My goodness, the shades of January 6th were something. This happened in Brazil yesterday. The sound of breaking glass here. They turn hoses inside government buildings. Ransacked Congress, the presidential palace, and the top court in Brasilia in the hopes of triggering a military intervention. These are uh, thousands, and some of them are still milling around there, thousands of supporters of ex-president Jair Bolsonaro, uh, who's been hanging out in Florida testing the leadership of Lula da Silva. This is fascinating to think that he'll be at the White House soon. I'm assuming that he takes the opportunity and takes the invitation. Uh, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, spoke briefly about this with reporters today in Mexico City. We think 
Brazilian democracy is resilient, strong, and will come through this. Quick thoughts from the panel here, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, the the shades of January 6th uh, were haunting. It, It was almost like they were imitating what happened here. Yes, deja vu all over again. I mean, uh, the weekend after the second anniversary of January 6th, we're seeing these images that look just like what we had uh, um, been shocked by when uh, when the attack on the Capitol occurred uh, two years earlier. Uh, and you really wonder how much of this is a contrived political message that uh, the Bolsonaro uh, party and its uh, fervent supporters are trying mm-hmm. to send, or whether this was a legitimate attempt to overturn Uh, a duly elected government. Uh, I guess we'll know later through investigations and reporting like we did uh, with the uh, January 6th committee. But uh, I think that uh, this is a a very disturbing thing. And we now realize why it is so important to pursue the people who uh, attacked our capital and to um, and to do the investigation that January 6th committee did because it sets the historical standard and puts it into context and 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 tries to keep these kinds of things from happening in the future. Jeannie, this is good politics for Joe Biden to bring him here, to bring Lula da Silva here to Washington. Right. These two gentlemen have something pretty remarkable in common. They do. And it's not just striking similarities between what happened in Brazil and what happened here on January 6th, but between Bolsonaro and Trump. You know, a first term president from the right refuses to concede, claiming fraud with no proof. He fled before the inauguration of his successor. And of course, that's why he was called the Trump of the tropics. And he's sitting in Orlando. Well, they are pals, aren't they? They they are. And of course, Steve Bannon is out there, you know, promoting what he and, and this group have done. So the similarities are are really scary. They're very eerie, as Rick said. And it's going to be, you know, I think Joe Biden will certainly have uh, De Silva here and he will play on that. He uh, he has uh, been hospitalized now, according to his wife. So I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, Bolsonaro has been admitted to an Orlando hospital. In the meantime, my goodness, the, the images of him milling around the public supermarket is something that is hard for us uh, to forget, much like the images over the weekend. Rick and Jeannie, thank you. As always, our signature panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. Uh, does does Joe Biden bring him to the White House ASAP, Rick? Is that something that happens? Well, I, I certainly think the offer has to go out um, in, in the sense you're talking about President Lula. Um, yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we need to show uh, other major democracies of the world that we're in, uh, in sync with the, uh, promoting democracy and the rule of law. And so uh, I think throwing any kind of aid they can to uh, President Lula would be important. I can't imagine a scenario where Lula would want to leave the country well, in this moment. Too. So I think that it, it, it looks good for us to say a welcome aboard, uh, but uh, <laughs> I think he's got issues at home he's going to have to tend to. Great conversation, as always. Rick and Jeannie, thank you. The Rules Committee vote, or the Rules Package vote, I should say, taking place starting about a half an hour from now, they think, in the U.S. House. We're going to be talking about this tomorrow in detail on the Fastest Hour in Politics. Sound on. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.